Section 3 of The National Geographic Magazine, Volume 8, April 1897. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abai in November 2017. The Siberian Transcontinental Railroad by General A. W. Greeley chief signal officer united states army recent advices from the east point to the early completion of the great siberian railroad which will be the next strong link to bind indissolubly together the commercial interests of the world it therefore seems an opportune moment to present to the readers of the national geographic magazine a resume of the advices lately forwarded to the department of state by our consular officials messrs carroll monaghan and stephan the russian budget for eighteen ninety seven assigns sixty five million rubles to the continuation of the trans-siberian railway and its operating will be an event scarcely less important than the completion of the Suez Canal. 5,000 miles of steel rails have been laid already at a cost of 350 million rubles, and in 1898 trains are to run to the Amur River. Passengers, post parcels, and freight will be pushed on by fast steamer to Chaborovka, and thence over the South Russian section of the Siberian road to Vladivostok, making the distance from London to the Japan Sea in seventeen and a half days. After the first few years, when high rates of speed across Siberia are attainable, the trip will be made in nine days. Travellers to and from the east will prefer to make the journey in eleven days overland to making it, as now, overseas in thirty days. Tickets from Warsaw to Vladivostok are to cost only 120 rubles, first class. From London to Warsaw costs now 150 marks, $35.70. The ticket from London to Vladivostok is to cost about 500 marks, $119, first class. Second class is to cost considerably less. A ticket to Japan today via Brindisi and Suez costs 1,800 marks, $428. That the world is so soon to enjoy transatlantic travel is due to the energetic and successful negotiations of Russian diplomats with the Chinese government. At the beginning of the work, the Trans-Baikal and Amur section was planned to extend from Chita through Sretensk to Prokovskaya, thence along the river Amur to Khabarovsk to join the Yusuri Railroad, running south to Vladivostok. The construction of this line involved such technical difficulties as would greatly increase the cost of the undertaking. On investigation it was found that building through Manchuria would not only cheapen and shorten the construction of the road, but would present other advantages. Negotiations were begun, and the Chinese government granted a concession. The Eastern Chinese Railway Company was formed to construct and operate the railway. The Articles of Association were sanctioned by the Tsar, and an imperial ordinance was issued in December 1896. The association organized under the Convention of August 27, 1896, 
by the Chinese government, with the Russo-Chinese Government Bank, is to construct and operate a railroad from the western frontier of the province of Heilongchang to the eastern frontier of Kirin, which is to connect with the Trans-Siberian Railway. The company may, with the permission of the Chinese government, engage in coal and other mining, industrial and commercial enterprises in China. The Russo-Chinese Bank takes upon itself the duty of organizing this company, which acquires the rights and duties granted by the above-mentioned convention. Shares can be held only by Russian and Chinese subjects, and the company will own the Chinese Eastern Railway during 80 years after the opening of the whole line. The Russian government guarantees the resources of the company to the extent of making obligatory the payment of shares. The company takes upon itself on the part of the Russian government the following obligations. 1. The Chinese Eastern Railway must be always kept in full order to satisfy all the requirements in relation to safety, convenience and movement of passengers and freights. 2. The traffic on the Chinese Eastern Railway to be kept up in conformity with the traffic on the connecting Russian railroads. 3. All trains of the Russian Transbaikal and Usuri railroads are to be met and forwarded without delay. 4. The company must transmit, with speed not less than that used on the Siberian Railway, all passenger and freight trains in direct communication. 5. The company binds itself to construct along its road a telegraph line connecting with the telegraph lines of the Russian railroads, and to promptly receive and send through dispatches to and from Russia and China. 6. If its technical arrangements shall not ensure uninterrupted traffic of passengers and freights, then, as the Russian railways require, the Chinese Eastern Railway must take suitable measures to improve its technical arrangements. In case of misunderstandings, the Chinese Eastern Railway agrees to submit to the decision of the Russian Minister of Finance. If the means of the Chinese Eastern Railway shall not be sufficient to carry out the necessary improvements, the road can apply for pecuniary assistance to the Russian Minister of Finance. 7. Maximum passenger, freight and telegraph tariffs shall be established by agreement between the company and the Russian government, which cannot be raised during the whole period of the concession without the consent of the Russian government. 8. Russian mail packages and officials accompanying the same are to be carried free of charge. For this purpose, the company assigns to each passenger train a part of one car. The Russian Post Office Department may furnish postcars constructed at its own expense, but the repairing, keeping and switching of them must be done by the railway company free of charge. After the 80 years concession has expired, the road will pass free to the Chinese government. A sale of the railway does not in any way change the obligations. The following rights are given by the Chinese government to the railroad company. 1. The passenger baggage and merchandise in transit from one Russian station to another are exempt from all Chinese customs duties, interior taxes, and revenues. 2. The tariffs for passengers, freights, telegraphs, etc. 
are to be free from all Chinese dues and taxes. 3. Merchandise imported and exported to and from China and Russia will pay one-third less than the regular export and import Chinese duty paid at Chinese sea custom houses. 4. Goods imported by rail for the interior shall pay transit duty to the amount of one-half of the import duty and are free from additional duties. The company is at liberty to buy its construction materials wherever it sees fit, and materials not purchased in Russia will be free from Russian customs duties. The stock capital is fixed at 5 million paper rubles, $2,570,000, and is divided into 1,000 shares issued at par. The Russian government does not guarantee these shares. Bonds will be issued in proportion to requirements, subject to the approval of the Russian Minister of Finance. The income and liquidation of these bonds will be guaranteed by the Russian government. The company is to begin work in August 1897, and the line is to be completed in six years. The new line will begin at Onon on the Transbaikal Railroad, cross the frontier near Starodzurukhait, run in Manchuria towards the towns of Chikikar, Tsitsikar, Chen, and Ningtu, and connect with the Nilosk station of the South Usuri Railroad. The total length of the Manchuria Railway will be 1,920 versts, 1,273 miles, of which 1,425 versts, 945 miles, will be in Chinese territory. According to the original survey of the Siberian line, the course through Manchuria will shorten the Siberian Railroad 514 versts, 341 miles. The Manchuria line traverses a country of better climate and more productive soil. The fruitful valley of the Sungari supplies the Amur region with bread, and northern Manchuria possesses natural wealth, to some extent already worked. In a recent number of Jahrbücher für Nationalökonomie und Statistik, there appeared an article by Dr. Ballot concerning the importance of the husbandry of Siberia. He arrives at the conclusion that the Siberian railway will at first only open up the country for the export of the more valuable classes of goods and facilitate wholesale immigration. It will be of enormous importance as a transit route for goods of high value from China and Japan, and also for passenger traffic from and to these countries, but it will be serviceable to the development of grain export only in a very limited degree. Careful estimates of production and freights convince him that an increased input of grain cannot be expected so long as low prices rule. It would be necessary for the Siberian peasant to export at a lower price than has hitherto been paid for his grain in the home markets. Should prices rise materially, profitable cultivation of wheat in Middle Siberia would become a possibility, and this would probably bring about an important increase in exports. End of section 3